Welcome to the We Talk Health Podcast, the official podcast for West Tennessee Healthcare. Please be advised that this podcast is not intended to replace any medical advice. Always follow your medical professional's advice and direction. Nothing said in this podcast is intended to supersede or supplement the direction of your medical caretakers. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at wetalkhealthpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer any questions you may have. Hello, welcome to another episode of We Talk Health. My name is Will Cashagro, and I'm here for a special edition of the We Talk Health podcast, all about coronavirus. Uh, it's a pretty hot topic right now in the world, and we want to make sure that we cover it as best as we can. Joining me today, I have Dr. Lisa Piercy. I'm Dr. Lisa Piercy. I'm the Commissioner of Health for State of Tennessee. I joined Governor Lee's cabinet uh, on his inauguration in January of 2019. Fantastic. And thank you again for calling in today. I know your life is pretty crazy right now. So uh, thanks for taking the time to be here with us today. It's an important topic. Thanks for having me. Yes, ma'am. And Dr. Claude Pertle. Thank you for having us. I'm really excited for this podcast. Uh, so I'm actually the chief medical information officer and also internal medicine doc at a, a practice down at the lift in Jackson, Tennessee. Perfect. And Dr. Mike Revel. I'm the uh, medical director for the emergency department, uh, both here and several other ERs throughout the West Tennessee healthcare system. Awesome. Thanks again for being here. Really appreciate y'all stepping in, uh, certainly at the last minute, to, to get this podcast done. Yeah, let's, uh, let's dive right into it. So information is spreading like crazy for coronavirus, and we'd like for it to be the correct information. So that's why I'm glad you guys are able to be here to answer some questions. So what is a coronavirus? You know, coronavirus itself has been around for a long time. There's several iterations of it. But um, the distinction here is this is a novel coronavirus. And so I know people sort of use the term interchangeably, but this is a novel coronavirus causing the disease COVID-19. And so um, that's a little bit different because coronaviruses in the past have caused SARS and MERS uh, and other um, scary illnesses overseas. But uh, this one's different. This is the novel coronavirus causing COVID-19. Coronavirus is actually a common cold symptom, something that's pretty close to uh, in something you may have heard of SARS, uh, MERS, and also Ebola. They're related. But coronavirus that you're hearing from now is actually from uh, Wuhan, China, a city in China. Basically, it can infect both animals and, uh, and people. The thought process is that it was transmitted from a bat originally in, the, in a, I think, a, a small market, as would understand that when you first, uh, the first detected case was from that area. So the virus is typically a respiratory infection. It can give you some symptoms such as fevers, cough, dry cough, actually. But basically, it's, it's, it's what you're seeing now. Uh, it kind of can be confused easily with the influenza virus also, but it's definitely becoming more and more of an issue around the country and also the world. Right. And, uh, you know, the... The big deal is that people call it the novel coronavirus. That doesn't mean that there's a whole book out about it. it uh, we in medicine like to use uh, fancy words, and novel is just a, a different word for new, new coronavirus. And uh, part of the issue is, is you know, we've all been exposed to certain coronaviruses, uh, uh, as Claude said, the common cold. But this one is new and, and has a little bit different symptoms, more lower respiratory symptoms than, than we've seen with the others, much similar to what we've seen with MERS and SARS. Okay. If I were out and about, should I be wearing a mask while I'm doing my day-to-day activities? 
So I would actually say no uh, right now, unless you're, you think you're infected or you've been in contact with someone that's been infected because uh, the mask is essentially put on to protect you from coughing and from droplets getting out. Especially the regular surgical mask, their pores are actually too big for the most part, so you can actually breathe in some of the virus. But the point is, is to help block those droplets from getting in. The main thing for that situation is really wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, or use alcohol-based sanitizers with at least 60% alcohol in them to help kill that virus, or at least decrease, the, I think, the lipid layer. It actually breaks through uh, and basically inhibits the virus. Also, avoid touching your eyes and mouth. You can also avoid big crowds, as you've heard. Multiple, I think Vanderbilt actually just canceled their classes and are doing online classes. Multiple conferences have been canceled. Wow. I'll let Dr. Revel maybe feed in a little more what he's heard. Sure, yeah. It, wearing a mask is definitely not going to keep you from getting the, the virus. Uh, it is designed to, basically, if you did have it, to keep you from spreading it uh, by keeping your cough droplets to yourself, if you will. But be on the lookout when you come to the ER or even come to the hospital to visit. You'll be asked some questions. Uh, hey, do you have a fever, flu-like illness? Will uh, Have you traveled to any of these areas where it is certainly uh, wrapping up the number of cases? And if you have or have a flu or you know fever, well, then we may ask you to wear a mask. And also some protective measures to say, if you are sick, come to the hospital, even if you're not sick enough to be hospitalized, certainly we ask that you uh, not visit patients because patients in the hospital are often immunocompromised and very high risk uh, to catch the coronavirus and therefore trying to eliminate all possibility to keep our entire patient population safe. Perfect. And just going on to the same Dr. Revel's point, I mean, over 100,000 cases have been found worldwide. And really, most people, over 80% of the population, will have no issues at all with this virus. But as Dr. Rebel was alluding to, is that the people in the hospital are sick already, have chronic diseases such as COPD, elderly, have histories of immunocompromisation such as transplant and cancers and things like that, that puts them at a higher risk of getting a virus, and something like this could be devastating. So, Dr. Revel, what are some symptoms of the coronavirus? Well, again, we, we describe it a lot like a flu-like illness. The difference between it and the flu and some of those is usually their upper respiratory symptoms. Uh, with the coronavirus, it's mainly a lower respiratory symptom. So instead of having a snotty, runny nose, if you will, uh, this is more of a dry cough. Could be a productive cough, but most commonly uh, what the patients have reported is a dry cough. Fever is almost 100% present. Uh, we see fever almost universally with the flu as well. But, you know, fever is one of those 98% of the patients who have uh, uh, have been diagnosed with the coronavirus have had uh, some, some form of fever. Whether that's right at the beginning of the onset of illness or a few days into it, we're not sure yet. Again, we're studying that. And then usually, like I say, ultimately has a pneumonia-like effect. If you're susceptible or get one of the more severe cases, then you, you know, may get short of breath. But otherwise, it's more like a flu-like illness, except it involves, you know, more of a dry cough than the upper respiratory symptoms that you typically see with the flu. Okay, so how does the coronavirus spread? I know you said it's a respiratory infection, so it could spread if you if you cough on someone or cough in someone's direction. Are there other ways? Yeah, it's through respiratory droplets. I mean, you know, okay. we've all seen the YouTube videos or things like that when they slow down when somebody sneezes and you see all the, the droplets that come mm-hmm. out. And so that's how it spread. We don't think this is, uh, and that's the thing about this disease, is we're learning stuff about it literally every hour, every minute. So what we say here today may, uh, you know, next week be irrelevant. But as we understand it right now, it's droplet spread. It's probably a pretty heavy droplet. So most of the, from what I understand, most of the filters in rooms that they've 
kind of sampled with patients who've had the disease, have not been, you know, super saturated with the virus. It's but the the surfaces that these patients cough, sneeze, or get uh, any of their bodily secretions on is heavily contaminated with the virus. So droplet spread, it takes uh, about four to six days of an incubation period, very similar to the flu that we that we talk about. And then you can range asymptomatic for a couple of weeks even after you've been exposed, but that's why that most of the time they, they recommend a you know 14-day quarantine if you've been exposed to someone with it and monitoring your temperatures and things of that nature. Okay. What if I'm planning to travel, be it domestic or international? Should I continue with those plans? Should I reevaluate? Now, that is certainly a hot topic today, and the answer I give you today might be different than the answer I give you tomorrow because that guidance is changing rapidly. So the best advice I can give you is before you go anywhere to check the CDC website and look at the travel warnings. As of today... Um, there are travel warnings to a handful of countries and what are determined or, or deemed to be level two and level three countries. Um, so travel is not recommended there. And then recently, the CDC has come out and said they do not recommend uh, any travel by cruise ship right now. I know everyone is familiar with um, the Diamond Princess and the Westerdam. Uh, and now the ship that is in the San Francisco Bay you know, cruise ships are one of those contained areas where any kind of infection uh, can spread easily. And we see that commonly with like norovirus, which is a stomach bug, uh, or other infections on ships. But particularly in this outbreak, um, we know that some crew members are also having the illness and transmitting it to passengers. Because, you know, you can't get off a ship and, and change out crew members just as easily as you could in a, in a typical workplace. So right now, travel restrictions are to the level two and three countries and on cruise ships. There currently is not any guidance against domestic travel uh, in the United States. Obviously, limiting non-essential travel is probably helpful. If you want to drive and visit someone, I don't think that's a large issue either. I think just trying to just be cognizant of your surroundings, you know, very large centers, lots of people are, things like that. Just be aware of that. I know it's been mentioned that, you know, as far as travel goes, it's where you're going to. It's also who's traveling. This virus seems to have an affinity for the elderly population. When you look at the death rates in China, majority of them are over the age of 50, really over the age of 60. Many with other, you know, with comorbidities. Now, we have lots of comorbidities here in the in the South with uh, our smokers and with lung disease already. Sure. So want to pay attention, not necessarily who you're going to visit. If your grandma and grandpa want to want to take a trip to Italy right now, it's probably not a good idea. So how can I prepare for a possible outbreak? Say coronavirus comes to Tennessee, which it already has from what we've been told. How can we prepare for that? Do I need to go to the store and buy all the toilet paper and all the hand sanitizers <laughs> that we're hearing about? Or Good luck. Right. Are there, are there other ways for us to prepare? That's a good question and uh, something that's certainly a hot topic right now. I'm not really sure what toilet paper has to do with uh, fever, cough, and shortness of breath. But if it, if it means we're covering our cough sneezes better, then, then that's a good use of toilet paper. But otherwise, preparedness efforts, really, it's not widespread at this point. We are not recommending everybody go out and do all this prepping, or certainly not any hoarding of supplies. But there are some common sense things that folks can do to prepare. And, you know, they're not significantly different than, uh, you know, in West Tennessee, we're used to getting ice storms and other big weather events that, that are predicted. And so if you had to bed down at home for several days, what would you need? You would need 
food and you would need your supplies. Most importantly, you would need to make sure you've got enough of your medication. And particularly if you have any chronic conditions uh, like diabetes, then make sure you have enough insulin or any type of daily medications. Making sure you have enough of that. And that's, you know, that's just a good practice anyway. Sure. Uh, and otherwise, pre- preparedness in this situation is really more about prevention. A lot of hand washing, making sure you practice good, what we call respiratory etiquette, and uh, coughing into your elbow or into a tissue, uh, making sure you wash your hands often with soap and water, and you know, lots of um, lots of funny memes going around the internet and uh, songs that you can sing. 20 seconds is longer than you think. Challenge you to do that with a with a stopwatch or a clock and covering all the surfaces of your hands. And if you don't have the opportunity to get soap and water, to use a good alcohol-based hand sanitizer. And then things like not touching your face, which is just a good idea anyway. But most especially, if you're sick, stay at home. Because we all know people, and maybe even some of us have been guilty of, you know, it's just a little cold, I'm going to go to work, or I, I really don't have any vacation days left, or the kids can't miss school anymore. Everybody's been guilty of that. And so in this situation, it's really important if you're ill, stay at home. And likewise, if other people are ill, stay away from them. It sounds common sense because it is. Sure, that makes sense. So who is working on containing the virus? And is there already maybe a vaccine created? So about two weeks ago, near the end of February, Secretary Azar with HHS encouraged us in one of our very, very frequent calls with the federal government to begin thinking about moving from containment to mitigation. We're actually kind of beyond the point of containment, and we are into the mitigation phase, which basically means we know we can't stop this from coming to our state and communities now. Uh, And so now we have to work to minimize both the number of cases and minimize the impact of those who do become infected. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this virus is no longer contained in our country, although it is not at all widespread in our communities. As far as the vaccine goes, some of the federal emergency appropriations are going towards vaccine development, uh, and there has been an accelerated regulatory pathway to feed the process of that development. However, in the best-case scenario, I have to admit I don't have a crystal ball, but just given the necessary testing and all of the research that has to be done, I believe we're still 12 to 18 months away from having a vaccine. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's shorter than that. But, you know, you want this kind of process to be done thoroughly and to be done well and, and make sure it's safe for everybody. And so that, that is what takes a few months. So, Dr. Pierce, I echo the same thing. I heard uh, pretty much that in the news and multiple different levels. I think the first vaccine is supposed to go to phase one trial next month. But to your point, it could take 12 to 18 months before all that's over. Have you heard of any... An, I guess I heard of some HIV medications actually for antivirals. Have you heard of any improvements on that front from any of the other pharmaceutical industry? The only thing I've heard about antivirals is that there are uh, one or two investigational antivirals that are being used in very extreme situations in the inpatient setting, almost as a drug of last resort. I haven't gotten an update on antiviral use in the last several days, so that that may be further along than my current knowledge. But right now, it's only in investigational use in very extreme cases. There is, to to clarify, there's not any type of pharmaceutical outpatient antiviral like Tamiflu or something that you would be using for influenza. Uh, We don't have anything available like that yet. 
And which goes back to my point, this is a novel or new coronavirus, and we don't know as much as we do about other disease processes or, quite frankly, as much as we would like. And so when you hear professionals say, you know, I'm, I'm just not really sure about that, it's just because this is this is new to us. Okay. If I think I, for some reason I have the coronavirus, where maybe locally would I go for testing? Would I come to the hospital? Would I go down to the lift? Is there a certain place I should go? Yeah, definitely not the ER. Uh, okay. Unless you're sick, I mean, unless you need have an emergent condition that needs to be looked at. I mean, we, we obviously can't turn folks away from the ER. But if you think about the ER and the hospital in general, again, we're full of patients with comorbidities who have disease or are sick already and, and being exposed to this virus would not be it. And currently, there's no commercially available test for it. And Lisa can speak to this about what the Tennessee Department of Health has. I know there are some testing companies that are out there looking to make this available and probably will be available fairly soon. And once that happens, then we might make different recommendations for testing. But if you think you have it, you're not short of breath or have symptoms that would otherwise make you think you need to go to the ER, then you just need to stay home. And I think we're advising folks to call their physician, uh, let them know of their symptoms so that they can be monitored and monitor from home and things of that nature. But uh, you don't want to go where the sick people are already. Sure. Yeah, to echo Dr. Redmond's point is, uh, the, no, exactly. Don't go to the ER. Like we mentioned before, 80% of the people who have this is going to be a very mild case, most likely. Um, unless you're having those acute symptoms like shortness of breath, chest pain, things like that, that's when you, you need to go maybe seek higher acuity attention. But maybe call your PCP, start with that, and just go from their recommendations. Yeah, Dr. Purtle and Dr. Revel are right. My short answer is, uh, if you think you are sick with COVID-19, the first place you should go is your telephone. And you should call your doctor, except in cases of medical emergencies, of course, then then you should handle that through 911 or through the emergency department if, if you're having significant shortness of breath or trouble breathing. But for most people, as they've correctly pointed out, most people have a mild, what we call self-limited illness, and they need to call their doctor. And most people will be able to stay at home and take care of themselves. But if they're going to need to come into the doctor's office, we recommend calling ahead of time to make sure if there are any special instructions or a special door or any type of PPE, personal protective equipment, that the patient needs to don when coming in contact with other folks. I do have one bit of new information about testing availability, and this information changes so rapidly that it's hard to keep up with. But commercialization of testing came online Thursday night, Friday morning, so um, four or five days ago. And up until that point, the state public health lab was the only place where you could get testing. The state public health lab is still doing testing, and we've actually recently been able to double our uh, testing supplies and, and have more on the way as we speak. So we're not as concerned about state lab capacity as we were. But the good news is with the commercialization of testing, this test will be much more widely available to the public at large and specifically to hospitals and providers. Uh, LabCorp came online on Friday, uh, Quest came online yesterday, and AEL, those are the three main lab providers scheduled to come online uh, later this week. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can have the test in every location today, but we have started seeing some places pop up around the state where, particularly in hospitals, uh, certain hospitals can test, certain providers can test at this point. And I suspect by this time next week, this may be a moot point because it'll be pretty standard testing throughout the state. Sure. 
All right, I'm going to move on to our social media questions. We posted an Instagram story asking if any of our followers just had questions about it. We would answer them on the podcast, so we'll do that now. So one of the questions we got was, is it possible for the virus to spread into items that I may have ordered, either say on Amazon or Etsy or something? Is it possible for the virus to spread if they came from China? I always tell people anything's possible, I guess, right? Um, but no, it's it's highly unlikely that you would get coronavirus from a package from China. But just like anything else, I wouldn't open the package and then you know lick my fingers or touch my face. I would wash my hands just like I would if I got the package from somewhere here locally, Nashville or, or wherever. Right. And I would agree that we shouldn't lick any packages or our <laughs> hands. Um, I <laughs> But, uh, you know, that that does bring up an issue that I get asked about a lot, which is fomite spread. And a lot of people listening might not know what a fomite is, um, but that's basically a non-living surface. And how long can the virus last on non-living surfaces? Because it is new and we don't know all of the things, the estimates range, get a load of this, between two hours and nine days. We do think it's closer to the two-hour mark uh, or just a few hours under the ideal conditions, but we just don't know enough about fomite spread yet. So that's why whether it's packaging or door handles or, heaven forbid, cell phones, disinfecting common surfaces and washing your hands frequently. Perfect. So the next question would be, do animals carry the virus? If so, what kind? So interestingly, dogs specifically, but animals in general, have had coronavirus for years and years. Not necessarily this coronavirus that we're talking about, and we don't know of any transmission from animals to humans or vice versa of this novel coronavirus, but coronaviruses in general have been in animals, but they're not the same one that we're talking about now. Right, and I think the there's still some question about where this virus originally came from. Did it come from a bat in Wuhan, or did it come from somewhere else? And I, I guess that will... Ultimately, we'll flesh all that out. But yes, there's even, uh, I, I have cattle and uh, and there's an animal vaccine for coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's out there, but it's not COVID-19 virus specifically. So is this as serious as the media says, or is it pretty well overhyped? <laughs> I think the important thing to remember is that I'll say it in the words of the Surgeon General, Jerome Adams. We're dealing with four outbreaks right now. COVID-19, fear, misinformation, and stigma. Mm, Absolutely. And the latter three are just as, if not more dangerous than the outbreak itself. And, you know, that's part of the world we live in where social media allows for rapid dissemination of what is oftentimes misinformation. The way we combat that is we continue to keep a level head and to rely on the evidence that we do have, which both doctors, Revel and Pertle, have mentioned, that 80% of uh, of people who get this illness have a mild condition that's self-limited, they take care of it at home, and they don't need any advanced type of medical care. So we have to keep that in mind, and we also have to keep in mind that when we are seeking more information, that we need to get our news from a reputable source, like the CDC or the World Health Organization, or our beloved Tennessee Department of Health. Because just with any kind of news story, uh, there is absolutely no fact-checking on social media. And sometimes the, quote, credibility just comes from how many times it's shared or liked. And uh, that's not how we get scientific information. And that type of media 
oftentimes lends itself to the fear and, and misinformation and stigma. I agree 100%. This is something to take seriously, but is it something to take any more seriously than any of our other you know diseases that are prevalent in our society and, and how we deal with those? I mean, so much we don't know about this. You know, the mortality rate now started out 5% or so, 4%, now it may be down to 2 and most experts feel like it's going to be much less than that because there's probably a lot of people who had the disease in these places where the outbreaks were that were mildly symptomatic and did fine. And so therefore your, your true denominator for the number of deaths that you have uh, in a community or in an area is probably going to be much higher than what we know now. But without testing, we won't know that. And, and that is me being on the optimistic side of this. Lisa is a commissioner of health, but she's a, she's a homegrown West Tennessee girl who uh, was on staff here at West Tennessee Healthcare for a number of years and cared for our, our kids still and am. their families. Still and still, yeah, still, yep. still is on staff. Thank you, everyone, for joining me today, Dr. Piercy, Dr. Pirtle, and Dr. Revel. You guys are amazing at what you do, and thanks for taking the time out to really talk about coronavirus. If you have any more questions, you can direct those questions to wetalkhealthpodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to check out the description of this episode on Apple Podcast or on Spotify for a link to our West Tennessee Healthcare blog page. We're going to be updating that blog as we learn more about coronavirus. And like I said, if you have any more questions, please feel free to send those to wetalkhealthpodcast at gmail.com. 